sermons over the last couple of months. Uh, and I don't know about you guys, I'm absolutely loving this series because most of the time I feel weak and very occasionally I feel strong. And so it's great as we've been reading through this book, hearing that God uses our weakness to glorify like that is where he is most glorified when we fall short of the mark when we are not good enough when we make bad choices in those moments he can be glorified that he gets all the glory for the salvation and the redemption and the restoration of those moments and it's been lovely just hearing more and more about that and in today's passage we're going to be in chapter five and we're reading through to the, the start of chapter six and basically what Paul's doing today is he's he's given the church in Corinth a snapshot of guys where are we actually at in history like, the, you guys are living in the time where in, in some of your lifetimes, you've, you've seen Jesus. Your, your relatives have known Jesus. You know what happened directly on the cross. It impacted your lives directly. And so in, in this moment, he's sort, sort of capturing history and saying what has been, what happened, and what is to come. And at the same time as that, he's calling us into this new adventure that because of what Jesus has done, we are uh, equipped and set free to be kingdom ambassadors. And so we're going to be reading a little bit about how do we be good ambassadors in this world that we're in. And so we're going to be starting 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, and we're reading through to chapter 6, verse 2. Um, if you need a Bible, uh, if you pop your hand up, one will make its way along the row to you. Uh, there's some on the ends of the rows here, so if you need one, pop your hand up. Uh, if not, I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure most of us all have it on our phones now, don't we? We maybe have to stop saying if you need a Bible, you've already got one. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain for he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. God, we thank you so much for your scripture. We thank you that in these words are the kind of truth and the kind of spirit breathe uh, just goodness that causes us to be a difference in the world that, that deeply changes us personally and then allows us to partner with you to see the world changed we thank you for that word so we just pray would you open everything that we have our hearts our eyes our hands our ears to just receive everything you've got for us this morning lord amen and so paul is basically in this first part of this passage summing up like where are we at in history the, the corinthians maybe don't realize it yet but they, they are in the middle of the biggest arc, the biggest story arc of history thus far. The world was a certain way a few years before and then Jesus came and gave his life for us and they live in an entirely different world now. Jesus has changed the trajectory of where the world was headed towards something entirely different he's, and he's just, he's breaking that down for me. He's saying, guys, you need to know this. You need to know this. 
And it's a bit like this. The, the story basically thus far was this, that God created the world. He created the world in the beginning and he made it lovely and he made it good. A little bit like this cupcake. Who likes cupcakes? We've got cupcake fans in the room. God made almost the world was like this perfect cupcake. He poured his talent, his time, his energy, his gifting, his creativity into it and he created something good. He made the world, he made the moon just far enough away from the world to mean that our tides work exactly the way they need to. He created uh, mountains, he created seas, he created this perfect balance that caused life to be in this world. And then on top of that, he put in plants and vegetables and all kinds of animals. And the world was good. And he kept on saying, this is good. This is good. And then he created human beings to inhabit the world. And he gave the world to the humans. He said, guys, this is your place. I want you to be here. We want to have, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to love you. I want you to love me. It's going to be the most amazing place. There's just this one thing you can't do. You just can't eat from the fruit, from the tree of knowledge. And, and what seems like only moments later in the Bible, Eve is tricked into eating the fruit from the tree of knowledge. And basically what happens in that moment is it just gets like a little bit messed up and it doesn't look the same. And the world was broken in that moment because sin entered into the world. And it, and it, and it didn't look the same as it did when it was created perfectly by God. And you would have thought what would have happened in that moment is that... Uh, from that point on, uh, us as humans would have been like, oh my goodness, we have to do everything we can to make this right. We've broken the world. We have to make it right. But actually what happened was, I might need a volunteer. Yeah, you can be the cupcake holder. I'm so sorry if I squirt ketchup on you. Um, and so what happened that moment? God, God started sending these messengers to the world and he said, guys, I want to be back with you. I want to love you. I want you to return to me. Please, will you return to me? And every time they did that, they stoned them or they ran them out of town or they killed them. And it was like they just poured a little bit more mess on top of the world and it got messier and messier. And then finally, God's like, I've only got one option left. I'm going to send my only son, Jesus, and he's going to come and he's going to make this world right again. And so the world met Jesus and they did the exact same thing to him. They said, actually, we don't want this guy. We're going to kill him too. And it was like the cardinal sin of pouring brown sauce. Oh, that was about pouring brown sauce on the cupcake. It was the, the worst thing they could have done. They killed God's one and only son. But in that moment, something wonderful happened. In, instead of the world remaining like this, God, J Jesus, by giving his life for us, did something absolutely wonderful. And what he did was when he gave his life and he died for us, he, he created this promise where he said, guys, I've risen from the dead and I'm going to come back again. I'm going to be with my father in heaven. But when I come back again, I'm going to restore this world to perfection the way it was before. And so he's given us this promise that at some point in the future, at some point in time, he will return here and he will restore and renew and reconcile and redeem everything that was broken. And so we have this promise of perfection, but where we are in this moment just now is that we're still living in the brokenness. We're still living in the brokenness, but with the promise of perfection. And so what Paul is saying to them is, guys, you are ambassadors of the king. It is now your job to partner with Jesus to take the brokenness of this world and to start clearing it up, to start partnering with the king, to just take a little bit off the top. That's the fourth time and it doesn't taste any better any time. It's to start clearing up the mess with Jesus. It's to start redeeming broken relationships, restoring broken lives, setting prisoners free, healing, equipping. And as we do that, we start to walk the world closer and closer towards the point of perfection, to the point where Jesus can return and everything is restored and redeemed again. That's what he's saying, guys. This is the story. That's where you are. 
And at the same time as that, he's saying, I'm gone to be with the Father, but I'm leaving you the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do this on your own. It's not like before me when you had to come to God through a representative or on the other side of a curtain or in fancy dress or with a sacrifice. He's saying, you now have full ability to relate with the Father. When you accept me in your life, you have a relationship with the Father that allows you full access and full use of every gift and ability and and good thing that God has to give. We ourselves, when we are in Christ, when we're allowing him to grab the controls of our hearts and lead us, we then become reconciled to the Father. We become deeply restored and redeemed and renewed by him. And the wonderful thing is that in the process of doing that, not when we're finished, not when we're perfect, not when we've got everything together, in the process of being reconciled, we are then his agents of reconciliation for the world. We then get to go and take the good news of the gospel into the world around about us. We are to be ambassadors of the king. Someone who plays an active part in seeing God's kingdom come. And so what is the role of an ambassador then? What is the role of an ambassador? The word Paul uses in the original Greek for ambassador is presbueo. um, And that translates as like an elder or someone who represents the one who sends them. And so we're to be representatives of the one who sends us. And the one who sends us is Jesus. Paul uses three different phrases. He says that we're ambassadors. He says that we're ministers of reconciliation. And he says that we're co-workers with Christ. We are called to be the picture of Jesus' reconciliation, the picture of the Father redeeming and restoring and renewing for the world around us. What a privilege, what an honor to be ambassadors of the King. I came across this amazing story of an ambassador uh, a few weeks ago, and I want to show you now. The PowerPoint is in a really weird order. I'm not sure why, so you have to kind of click through one more and then stop there. So... um, I love Oprah. Has anyone watched the Oprah show every now and again? It's just, honestly, it's incredible. If you never get to watch Oprah, go on YouTube and just watch a wee bit of Oprah because she does these amazing things. She like gets these families on whose houses have been destroyed by fire. And she's like, guys, do you know what? We're going to build you a new house. And she sends them away and they come back and there's this brand new house waiting for them when they come back. And she does all these incredibly kind and good things. And you would think Oprah's a brilliant ambassador. And Microsoft, the company, thought, Oprah is a brilliant ambassador. So when they were releasing their brand new Microsoft Surface tablet in 2012, they thought, who better than to be the face of this product than Oprah Winfrey? You cannot get any more influential than Oprah. And so they approached her and they were like, would you be the the face of the Microsoft Surface? And she was like, yeah, of course, if you give me loads of money to do it. And so they did, and they gave her loads of money to do it. And so she started doing things like this. She would have, her show would start and she'd be like casually sitting on the Microsoft Surface tablet. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see you there. I was uh, just using my new Microsoft Surface tablet. It's the Mercedes-Benz of tablets, don't you know? And then she has this thing called Oprah's like uh, Cool Things of the Year or something like that. And she made it her top thing on her 2012 Cool Things of the Year, the Microsoft Surface tablet. And so it was going really well. She was influencing people. People were behind the Microsoft Surface. It was standing in competition with the iPad. Uh, Everything was going well until she tweeted this tweet Uh, And I'll give you a wee moment to see if you can work out what went wrong for Oprah when she tweeted this tweet. Gotta say, love that Surface. Do you love that Surface, Oprah? I might buy one if you love one. I've already bought 12 for Christmas Christmas gifts. Oh my goodness, I should maybe get one for Christmas too. Hashtag favorite things tweeted via Twitter 
for iPad. <laughs> she was on her iPad tweeting about the Microsoft Surface and what she did in that moment was that she, she totally canceled out anything she'd said about it before because what everyone understood in that moment was when she was on her own, when there was nobody looking, when it was her choice, she chose the iPad. What a blow for Microsoft. Here's the thing. If we're gonna be good ambassadors for the king, we need to know the king and we need to be fully invested in the king. We cannot be great ambassadors on half a relationship or a couple of moments with the king here and there or a wee prayer once a month when things are getting hard. It's relationship which causes us to be great ambassadors for the king. When we truly know who it is who sends us and we truly know his heart and how he thinks and how he feels and what he would speak over us and what he would speak over the world around about us, that's when we become excellent ambassadors for the king. We need to know the king and we need to be fully invested in the king. Paul puts it like this. He talks about the father in verse 18. He said, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. What a picture of the Father. He could have so easily counted every sin against us, and yet he chose forgiveness and grace. He loves us more than we will ever be able to fathom or understand or know. That is the Father who we are the ambassador for. So the ambassador's role is representing the king. And if that's the case, then the next question is, what are the customs of the kingdom? What is it that we're supposed to be taking into the world around us? What is it that we're supposed to be representing God in? What is it to live in a way that causes people to see God in our lives in a way that is undeniable and almost uncontrollable? I love in verse 19 where he says, that because we've been reconciled to God by Jesus, we have now committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. The overarching custom of the kingdom, the thing that, that God is going after time and time again is to see people who do not know him brought back towards him. To see the lost and the least and the last drawn back into relationship with him. But what does that actually look like for us to be ambassadors of the kingdom? in our world in a way that when people encounter us, they get a taste of the kingdom, a taste of the customs of the kingdom through the way that we live. How do people encounter Jesus in a way that changes their lives and the direction that they're moving in? I remember when I was in primary school, uh, we never had a school football team. It was the worst thing that could have happened. I loved football. All my friends loved football. We were desperate for a football team. Uh, and every year we would ask, and we basically, our school's teaching staff was made up um, of lots of people who were maybe two or three years away from retirement who wanted nothing to do with after-school activities. And so we never had a football team. And then in primary six, something wonderful happened. We got this thing called a probationer. Uh, and basically what that meant is, is somebody who was just fresh out of teacher training, who was like, who's got a point to prove, who's got to build a good resume so that they can get a job the next year after. And we were like, 
this guy was called Mr. Gallagher. We were like, Mr. Gallagher, can we have a football team? And he was like, yeah, I'll start a football team. That'll look great on my PDP. And so he started a football team. Uh, and we, we, a few weeks after we started, we'd done some training. Uh, and he took us to this football tournament with all these other local primary schools. And we were so excited. We've been waiting for this moment for six years of primary school. We're like, this is our chance. We're going to show the world how brilliant our school is. It's going to be amazing. So we got there. We got on a minibus. We drove to this school. We got out. We're all buzzing. We're like geeing each other up. Like, come on, we're going to win this. We get in the changing room. Mr. Gallagher puts a kit bag down in the middle of the room. And he opens it up. And just like this plume of dust just like rose out of the bag. Uh, and then he took out the first top. And I can only describe it as like a worse version than England's 1966 winning football top. It was like a sort of football come rugby top uh, that was like white, but it had obviously been eaten by many different things over the years. So it had lots of holes in it and there was cobwebs and mothballs everywhere and the smell was horrible and it was so old and we had to put on these tops and they were disgusting and all of our excitement and enthusiasm and belief just vanished in an instant. We were like, this is just rubbish. We sort of traipsed out onto the pitch and we lost every single game. And I think all of us got sent off at one point for punching someone else for laughing at our football strips and it was just a disastrous tournament and we all got back on the minibus and we were just like gutted just absolutely gutted and so like maybe a month later Mr Gallagher was like right guys I've entered us into another tournament and we were like no way are we going to another tournament not a chance he was like guys you've got to trust me I think you guys have got what it takes to win don't worry about the strips like it doesn't matter you guys can do this and so he convinced us we got back on the minibus we drove out to this other school we were going to take part in this tournament we sat down in the changing room he plonks down the kit bag in the middle of the room we're all like oh goodness and he opens it up and this orange glow just emits from the kit bag and we were like what is this what is it and we looked in and there were these fresh brand new orange football shirts and they said Thornwood Primary School on them and they had numbers on the back and we were like this is the best thing that's ever happened so we're all grabbing these kits and putting them they had matching shorts and socks it was incredible we went out that day thinking we were going to beat the world basically Mr Gallagher had gone to this local law firm I think he showed them pictures of us in the horrible football tops and said please 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 and so they'd sponsored us and we got these new football kits and we went out that day and we won the tournament we honestly we felt like we could not be stopped here's the thing God fully equips us for the role of ambassadors by the deposit of the Holy Spirit he's left with us in the same way that we put on those football tops and we felt like we could take on the world when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit alive and within us and when we're filled with the Holy Spirit we have everything that we need at our disposal to see this world changed around us we are fully equipped on our own and I can only speak for myself here because I don't know everyone here personally. On our own, I would be rubbish at being an ambassador for the kingdom. I'd probably be good at it for about two minutes and then I would make my first mistake or I'd get angry or I'd lose interest and quite soon I would be over it and it would be done and my journey as an ambassador would have ended. I would have been sacked in disgrace uh, as an ambassador of the kingdom. But with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit filling us, we have everything we need. We are fully equipped to carry out the role of kingdom ambassadors excellently. So what are the things the Holy Spirit enables us to bring excellently into the lives of those around us? What are the customs of the kingdom that as ambassadors uh, taking his good news into the world that we bring? 
In Luke chapter 4, Jesus quotes this from the prophet Isaiah when he's speaking about himself. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These are the hallmarks of the kingdom that we bring as kingdom ambassadors, that we speak good news to the poor, that we bring a message of joy and of hope and of restoration to those who desperately need it the most, not just materially poor people, but people who are poor because they've never heard the name of Jesus and heard what he can do for them. We're called to be the kind of people who set the oppressed free, that we don't just watch uh, and, and turn a blind eye when injustice happens in front of us, but that we, we pursue a, a resolution so that nobody has to live in a place where they feel like they're being taken advantage of or used that we uh, bring passion and joy into the situations that we're in when there's lifelessness and hopelessness. These hallmarks of the kingdom are the means of reconciling the lost world to a father who is desperately searching and desperately going after each and every single person in this world. That's what we get to bring. But how do we do that? Well, we learn in Galatians chapter 5 that there are some fruits of the Holy Spirit being alive within us. And those fruits are things like love, joy, peace, forbearance, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. When we allow God to just well up within us the things of the Spirit, those are the things that come out. Those are the things that start to pour out into the lives of those around us. We're able to demonstrate the customs of the kingdom because he's put the tools in our hands to do it, that we love well, that we bring joy, that we bring peace and forgiveness and goodness into the situations that we go into, not because of anything that we've done or because we are extremely talented or because we're brilliant Christians, but because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're fully equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the customs of the kingdom into every place and relationship we find ourselves. And so if we're discovering what it is to be kingdom ambassadors, and if we know what the customs of the kingdom are, then how do we work out what is our place in all this? When he talks about being reconciled to the world, the world is a big place. And so if we take that as a starting point on the canvas, if we only ever see a picture of the world, after a couple of minutes, we'll be like, well, that's really big uh, and I probably won't change the world myself. I'll probably, it's maybe someone else's job to do that. I think the, the key to it is recognizing what the whole point of an ambassador is. You know, there's not a Russian embassy in Russia. There's Russian embassies in every other country that isn't Russia. In the same way as kingdom ambassadors, we're not called to stay in church and stay in our own homes and be ambassadors and where Jesus already is. We're called to be ambassadors where people don't know Jesus to bring the customs of the kingdom to that place. We're called to be out. It says God was reconciling the world to himself. There's not one person on this planet that he's not interested in having a relationship with. I love that. And so how do we find our place in that story then? How do we find our place? Well, I think we can find some of our place in the context of the letter that he's writing to the Corinthians. He's writing to them in Corinth. That's where they are. And it says nothing in the letter about, guys, uh, I know you're in Corinth just now, but there's this wee place called Scotland that's away up in the north of the world. Uh, and so if a bunch of you could just pack your bags up and fly up there and go and do that, uh, and just like maybe tell people about Jesus up there, that'd be great. He's saying to them in the context of where they are, he's talking about Corinth. It's like, you guys are in Corinth. Corinth needs Jesus. We need to be ambassadors to Jesus in Corinth. 
the church has been taking a bit of a kick in there. And so Paul's calling them back to being like, let's turn this church into a place that's the most incredible ambassadors for Jesus in this city. And when I was at school, as soon as I turned 16, I got a job working uh, in a shop called Grieve Sports. It was a sports shop in Glasgow. And it was really different to any other sports shop uh, in the world, as far as I can tell. Uh, everyone else who works in sports shops got to wear, like, joggies and trainers and fun T-shirts. And, like, there was loads of loud music and stuff like that. And Greaves, we had, like, black shoes, black trousers, a blue shirt, and, like, a red, gold, and black striped tie. Uh, you were, you were, there was two stages of facial hair that you were allowed. You could have uh, no facial hair or a full beard. I'm not sure how they expected you to get from one to the other. I think you had to take a four-week holiday just so that you could grow a beard. Um, but it was very efficient, very official. And I worked in the football department, and it was the best job I could have ever had because I love football. So whenever new kits come out, it meant I knew when the release date was. I knew who the manufacturers were. People would come in, and they'd be like, oh, I'm a bit of a hard tackle in midfielder. What boots are best for me? And I'd be like, these ones here, they've got this kind of support, and they can do this, and they can do that. I loved it. I would have worked there probably for free if they'd let me, but thankfully they paid me and I loved that job so much. And then one Saturday I came in uh, and my manager met me on the floor and he was like, oh, uh, Scott, uh, a few people have called in sick today from the running department. Uh, and calling in sick was basically code for hangover among the part-timer staff. So he was like, could you go down and cover in the running department for today? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to cover the running department. I run playing football, so I know what it looks like to run. And so I got down there and I very, very quickly realized that I was massively out of my depth. People were asking me questions about heart rate monitors and what was the ideal heart rate for a distance runner. They were asking me like, what gel should I consume on mile 24 of a 26 mile marathon? They were asking me uh, what cadence they should run at to get their best 10K time. And I was like, I have no idea what any of these things are. And a few answers I just made up. Uh, and then I tried, and then I realized I was not getting anywhere with that. So I was kept having to ask the manager. And then one guy asked me about chafing and I was like, that is it. I'm done with this. I'm out of this game. So I just started referring everyone on to the manager. I was like, oh, that's a great question. This guy knows what you're talking about. I was so out of my depth. And uh, when I went back to the football department next week, they never ever asked me back to the running department again, even when they were desperately sick and short of people. Here's the thing, each one of us have been created with different gifts, different passions, a different story, different skills, different preferences, and we just have to stay in our lane. Quite often when we think about being ambassadors of the kingdom, we, we can get into this thing of thinking like, oh, God will obviously really call me somewhere really specific. Uh, so I'll just wait for this moment where it's like the trumpets are in the sky uh, and he'll write in really fancy handwriting in the sky and it'll be really clear. And once I get that moment, then I'll know how to be an ambassador for the king. Can I bring a wee challenge into that just for a second? I wonder if sometimes in the waiting for the exact message, we can use that as a wee bit of an, an excuse for inaction. That's not to say that God won't ever speak really clearly to us and really directly to us. But I also think that he already has spoken really clearly to us in his word about what it looks like to get started on this journey of being ambassadors for the king. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, uh, Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I think that's what Paul means when he's talking about us being ambassadors of the King. He's saying, take your light, your skill, your gift, your hope, your knowledge of me to the place where you are, to the people you're with, and just 
demonstrate the kingdom in a way that draws people towards me. And I think what that means is like, if you enjoy tennis and you really love playing tennis, it's unlikely that God's going to call you to be a pool champion somewhere else in the world. If, if that's not your gift, if you've got no skill at all in doing that. But if you love tennis, then I think what it looks like to be a kingdom ambassador is that you take your tennis racket and you join a local tennis club and you play tennis in a way that is filled with honor and integrity and you don't scream and swear when you lose a point and you don't storm off in a huff when someone beats you, but that you encourage them around you and you say, that was an amazing play there, well done. Have you been practicing this week? You've got so much better. And as we do that, it's so different to the way the world does things that it opens up conversations and questions that allow us to bring the good news of the king in. I'm doing this because I've encountered Jesus. And I know that he wants to encounter you too. In our workplaces, it looks like two things. It looks like us being excellent colleagues and it also looks like us being excellent uh, employees as well. It means that when the team is behind, we pick up a little bit of extra work to help someone out. When someone's going through a hard moment, we take the time to walk through them. When someone does great work, we encourage them. When the boss needs somebody to fill a little gap, we're the people who stand in to make it happen. And in that moment, as we act in a way that's so different to the way the world would act, questions and conversations open up why are you doing that why have you done that for me when I've never done anything for you when we look around our streets we're not waiting for a loud booming voice of God to say take your neighbor's bins in just take your neighbor's bins in if you see somebody struggling with a lawnmower trying to get their lawn done and you've got your lawnmower out doing the grass we cut other people's lawns and we wash other people's cars and we stop to have a conversation when it would be easier to just run straight into the house because that's what it looks like to be an ambassador of the king where we are. One of my all-time heroes is a guy called Jean Vanier. He started this thing in France called the L'Arche Community. Basically, when he was younger, uh, the way that the French uh, public authority basically dealt with people who had uh, disabilities and learning difficulties was that they would move them all into uh, like homes out in the countryside uh, and just kind of lock them in a room and bring them food in and out each day because they didn't have a clue how to deal with people who were different from what they were used to. Um, and so he saw this uh, and he was like, this is not right. I don't want people to live like this. I can't really change the system, but I can do my own little bit. So he took 12 people who were in that system and struggling in that system and he moved them onto a farm that he'd bought, this little old rundown farm. And they just did life together. They had breakfast together each morning. They played games together. They read books together. They had lunch together. They danced together. They ate dinner together. Uh, and they all just stayed in this place. And it had an amazing impact on the mental health of those people who were in that situation. And suddenly other people started hearing about it and they came to his farm and they thought, I could do this. And so they would start another one somewhere else. And, and by the time it got to the end of his life, I think there were something like 125 large communities all around France for people who were living in, the, in those circumstances started by him. And he says this wonderful thing. Jean Vanier says, he just died recently. Um, but he said this just before he died. We are not called by God to do extraordinary things, but to do ordinary things with extraordinary love. I'm just going to read that again because I think it's brilliant. We're not called by God to do extraordinary things, but to do ordinary things with extraordinary love. So here's my question to us this morning. If we were to leave this room today and do one intentional thing that would draw someone closer to Jesus in our lives this week, what would it be? I'm not asking it as a hypothetical question. I'm not asking it as a philosophical thing for us to muse over for the next six months. I'd love us to take 30 seconds and just think about 
what is one thing that you could do this week that would completely uh, bring Jesus into the life of someone around you? Go, 30 seconds, think about it. What is that thing going to be? You're all looking at me. I don't have the answer. This is your thing. This is the thing that you're going to do this week that's going to bring someone closer to Jesus. What is that thing? And then if you've got something and you can think of something, I'm not going to ask you what it is, but just put your hand up so I can get a gauge in the room of when people have got that thing. Great. I've got loads of time. I'm going to wait till everyone's here. It could be taking a bin out. It could be something that simple. It could be chapping a door and asking how a neighbor's doing. It could be asking a work colleague who looks like they're struggling, can I do this for you this week? Okay. Turn to the person beside you. Tell them what your thing is. Hear what their thing is. And then next Sunday, you're going to seek that person out and you're going to ask them if they've done that thing this week. We're going to be intentional about blessing the world. Okay, turn to the person next to you. Tell them what it is. Hear theirs. Okay. Last 10 seconds. If you've not shared your thing, share it quickly. Okay. You've heard each other. We are committing to being in this world and making a difference in this world. So next week when we come, we're going to seek out the person you sat beside this morning and say, hey, did you do that thing you said you were going to do last week? And we'll do that together. Why don't we stand? The band are going to appear and we'd love to make some space to pray.